listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. Soul Searching is a journey where I engage with an array of thinkers from faith leaders to academics to artists to explore deep questions of meaning, questions that all of us ask at some point in our lives, such as why are we here? What is right and wrong? Is there good and evil? Is truth relative or absolute? Is there life after death? And to help us in our journey this evening, we're very honoured to welcome back to our show Cantor Liana Mendelssohn, Cantor at Temple Beth Shalom here in Santa Fe. Cantor Liana, lovely to have you back with us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be back. So it's been a year or so since you've been on our show. So how has the last year of being a cantor in Santa Fe been for you? Well, this was my first year of being a cantor full-time. I finished graduate school in May of 2021, and this is my first full-time pulpit. Um, So I have learned so much this year, so much more this year than I did in five years of graduate school, for sure. Um, And one of the things I was thinking about um, was something that we did recently with the religious school kids and the community. We celebrated the holiday of Simchat Torah, which uh, celebrates the finishing of reading the Torah scroll and turning it back to the beginning. And we had all of the religious school kids there, and we unrolled the entire Torah scroll, the Torah being our Bible, which is handwritten on parchment, and it's a a very large scroll. We filled the entire social hall with it, and we had the sixth and seventh graders helping the grown-ups in our community hold the scroll up, and we had our younger kids sitting in the middle, and just to literally see our youth enveloped in the words of our tradition was one of the most powerful moments I've had in my career so far. It was beautiful. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. And it, I totally agree with you. I mean, I came out of, of rabbinic training a while ago, but I totally agree with you that what you learn in, the, in clergy school is really important, but it's what you get afterwards, isn't it? So, yeah. Definitely. So, look, you, you have a, a special interest, and you've been sharing this at Temple Beth Shalom. You have a special interest in the biblical book known as the Song of Songs. And so, so for today's conversation, let's focus on that. And what, what makes the Song of Songs so interesting to you? And, and what do you think makes it unique among the books of the Hebrew Bible? Yeah, so um, some of our readers of other faith traditions might know this book as the Song of Solomon. Um, it's a eight-chapter book of erotic poetry that's in the Bible, and it's it's very weird that there's just a random book of erotic poetry in the Bible. But it's an extremely, extremely beloved text and has been for a really long time. The, um, you know, from the Talmud and the Midrash to, like, the early church fathers, um, there's a lot of of commentary about how much people love this book. In fact, Rabbi Akiva said that the whole world does not merit the day on which the Song of Songs was uh, given. So it's there's something about this book that people are really attracted to. It's one of only two books in the uh, Hebrew Bible that does not include the name of God, um, the other being the Book of Esther. Um, and so its positionality seems somewhat strange. Its canonicity seems somewhat strange. Um, at face value, 
It's a book about two lovers who are in the thralls of young love, a sort of springtime love, and they're really surrounded by like beautiful nature imagery and all that. Um, But there's a lot of different metaphorical readings. And so one of the most common metaphorical readings is that it's a metaphor between, um, or it's a meta, it's a metaphor for the love of God and the Jewish people, or if it was a church father writing it between, you know, Jesus and the Christians, you know, that it's a metaphor for a divine kind of love. Um, some contemporary scholars argue that it's based on an Arabic wasf, W-A-S-F, which is a kind of um, a kind of poetry that was recited at weddings, often by women, and it describes the, the the wasp traditionally describes the lover's body in metaphorical terms, which is something that we see a lot in the Song of Songs. Um, the idea of if we're looking at Song of Songs one ten. Your cheeks are comely with plaited wreaths, your neck with strings of jewels. You know, that idea of like creating imagery through metaphor and symbol. And I think that's part of what has contributed to the popularity of this book is because even at the surface level, it del- it dwells so deeply in the realms of metaphor. It has a lot of layers of meaning to unpack. And you could spend your entire life studying this book from different angles. So my particular perspective of how I've studied this book is I'm looking at it in terms of um, its usage in Israeli music and why it's popular in Israeli society, because it's a particularly, it's a particularly popular book in Israel, um, or was in the days of the early Zionists. So when we think about the project of nation building, um, One of the things that you have to do when you're creating a country is come up with national narratives, right? The stories that you tell about who we are and how we got here and what do we do. And something that's really important to remember in in the idea of national narratives is that they're always a story. They're not the whole story. There's always people outside of those stories. So we're looking at a particular story, which again is not the whole story, but it's an important one. And that is that a lot of the um, first Jews to move to Israel were, or to what is now Israel, were um, settling on kibbutzim, on collective socialist farms. And they were moving from Europe, and they were becoming agricultural, and they were becoming collective and communal. And the other thing is, is that they were largely secular. Some of them came from Um, religious backgrounds in Europe and like shed that. Some of them were already coming from secular backgrounds. But then they're coming and they're creating this like collective agricultural um, way of life. And that needs to have its own sort of cultural touch points. It needs to have its own music and dances and, you know, the texts. And so the question is, how do we do that? Where does it come from? And so the early Zionists, especially those who were affiliated with the kibbutz movement, loved the Song of Songs because the Song of Songs is, in addition to being about love, is about the land. Right. And it really talks about the flourishing of the land. It talks about, you know, the winter is over, the flowers are appearing, the turtle dove is coming out and singing. And 
So for these people who literally viewed their mission in life to make the land flourish, this was really relevant. And using a biblical text helped them to tap into something that was far more ancient than they were, and it sort of legitimized their narrative, right? If we're continuing a biblical narrative, then we have like real weight behind our purpose. And so that was something that was part of the attraction of this song. So were they moving away from the erotic relationship of the two individuals in the text and focusing more on the land itself? So when when I mm-hmm. ask that, I'm not saying were they cherry-picking, mm-hmm. but were they just taking a different focus on the text itself? Yeah, well, I don't think it's wrong to accuse people of cherry-picking because everyone does with biblical texts. Um, there's always a different angle and narrative you can craft. But yeah, the um, the erotic nature of the song has been very troubling for scholars for millennia. Um, and I think, you know, that's part of why that idea of the song as a metaphor between for love between God and the people emerged because um, they were so uncomfortable with the fact that maybe it's actually about sex. They were like, no, it can't be about sex. It's about love. It's about religion. Okay, great. So uh, there's actually a midrash um, that there, there's a verse in the song that compares the female lover, who's referred to as the Shulamit, it compares the Shulamit's breasts to um, fawns. Mm-hmm. And the Midrash says, oh, that actually means Moses and Aaron. Her breasts are Moses and Aaron. And this is actually about how they spoke to God. Right. And, I mean, to me, looking at it from a modern perspective, that's a little bit... Uh, out there but i I mean is it is that midrash a reflection of the patriarchy that sort of embarrassed um things stay at home and Mm -hmm. it's a mitzvah to do at home but when you're studying it in the beta midrash you're not going to be talking about erotic things so you have to apply a different kind of metaphor and the first thing they can come up with is two patriarchal leaders yeah i think that makes sense to me um yeah, I don't know that I've read like a real explanation of how they got there. Um, I just remember it's standing out to me because it's so different from the like shot, the like straightforward reading of the text, which is, you know, he likes her boobs. <laughs> right. Right. So, so before we take a break, I mean, you, you mentioned uh, about how some uh, – uh, about how how popular it is yeah. but when you talk to a lot of religious people particularly Jews and Christians mm-hmm. who and you ask them what would what's in the song of songs my guess is that a lot of people don't know and i i wonder if that's because does the eroticism to put people off um i mean I, it, clearly it's fascinating for study mm-hmm. for academics and clergy to sit down and study but if you ask the Jew in the pew uh, who hasn't been to your classes, to be fair. <laughs> if you ask the Jew in the pew what's in the Song of Songs, they might say, I don't know. Right. Do do you think that there's almost an embarrassment? Uh, and maybe that midrash that you mm-hmm. shared is part of it. Is there an embarrassment about the eroticism? Is there an embarrassment that the Bible may contain sex? Which, to be blunt, I mean, there's enough begat so on and begat so on. Adam knew his wife and, you know, everyone knows everyone else. There's a lot of references to sex, but it's not 
the actual act itself or the erotic moment beforehand. Do you think it's embarrassing for people? Um, I don't, you know, I think when I think about like classes and stuff I want to teach and stuff, when I want to talk about the Song of Songs, it always does give me a little bit of like a, oh, am I, am I about to talk to my congregants about sex? I mean, yes, on a metaphorical level. Um, but I think it's important that we get comfortable with that because I think even more than it's about sex, it's about bodies. Mm. And we all have bodies, right? And we all have experiences of the world. It's like a very embodied physical book. And I think that's part of what makes it really powerful. Um, I do want to push back a little bit on the idea that people don't know this text because um, – I, I think your average American Reformed Jew probably knows next to nothing about this. But in um, Sephardic communities, um, the Song of Songs is uh, – Sephardic communities being North African um, and Spanish heritage um, Jewish communities. The Song of Songs is actually part of the Kabbalat Shabbat liturgy. It's part of the Friday night liturgy. And there are synagogues that recite this text every single week. The entire text? The entire text. Yeah. Um I don't know that everyone does the entire text every week, but, you know, Kelat Zion in Jerusalem, which I'll definitely talk about more, does the entire text every week. And that comes out of um, the founding rabbi, Tamar Alad Applebaum's um, uh, background as a Moroccan Jew. Um, she has one parents from Morocco, one's from France. So she's both Sephardic and Ashkenazi. And she, when she was going to like a Moroccan synagogue, she would hear the Song of Songs every week. And... Um, the reason I got into the Song of Songs um, was because when I was deciding what to focus my research on, I was really interested in this um, Israeli singer named Victoria Hanna, who describes herself as a Kabbalistic rapper. Um, so what we should do, because we need to take a okay. pause, I'd love to, just just that idea of a Kabbalistic yeah. rapper, I'd love to be able to hold on to. And if we can talk about her after the break, yes. that would be wonderful. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom. My guest this evening, Cantor Liana Mendelssohn, Cantor at Temple Beth Shalom here in Santa Fe. And we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom. My guest this evening, a return visit from Cantor Liana Mendelssohn, Cantor at Temple Beth Shalom, who's been talking about the Song of Songs and how it's uh, such an embodied physical book and how different it is between different communities, some communities that know it and others that don't. And just before the break, you mentioned a Kabbalistic rapper. And so we, we held on to that. And uh, please tell us more about wh- wh- who is a Kabbalistic rapper and what does that mean? Yeah. So um, the, the singer I mentioned, her name is Victoria Hanna. And so Kabbalah is a type of Jewish mysticism. And 
So she really connects to the mystical in Judaism through the use of her voice, with her voice as the instrument. And she grew up in Jerusalem, um, part of a um, Middle Eastern rabbinic family. And she grew up in a synagogue that did Song of Songs every Friday night. So it was a text she told me. I, I interviewed her for my project. She told me that the um, words of Song of Songs were stamped on her lips because it was something that she had um, really grown up with. And for her, she's also really interested in Sefer Yetzirah, mm. which means the book of creation. And Sefer Yetzirah talks about all the letters in the Hebrew alphabet and assigns them all like mystical meanings. You know, is it a high realm or like an earthly realm or like a grounded um, realm kind of sound? Um, where do we feel it in our bodies? What like organ does it correspond to? And so between the study of this book that's all about the letters and the sounds and their mystical meanings and between being really into Song of Songs, um, Victoria Hanna developed this really unique musical style um, that she describes as Kabbalistic rap, where essentially she's really into the sounds of the words. Mm -hmm. And when you listen to her speak, it's like so deliberate. And she says, actually, that in some ways, the knowledge of Hebrew is a barrier. Like, if you actually know the Hebrew, if you're a Hebrew speaker, and you know what the words mean, then you're thinking about what they mean and not what the like phonemes, the sounds of it are telling your body. And the interesting thing is Rabba Tamar Elad Applebaum at Keilatzion said something similar about the Song of Songs. That So in her congregation, they do the Song of Songs in its entirety every Friday night, but they also always do a piyut in the middle. So a piyut is a poetic text that's um, a lot of them date to like, you know, the 1500s or a thousands, you know, they're like old, typically older poetic texts. And they always choose a piyut that's based on the Song of Songs mm. and they insert it into their reading of the text. And when I asked her why, she said, well, my congregants understand the Hebrew and they don't relate to it. That's what she said. Interesting. And so the use of the piyut is like another angle to give them something else to attach to. And she also always incorporates um, an Israeli folk song into like the sort of rubric because that's another like point for people to like adhere to and, and relate to. So it, sound, it sounds like there's there are some communities where, you know, we started by talking about the eroticism and yeah. the embodiedness. It sounds like for some communities, it's specifically not that. It's about how the words literally sound to take you to somewhere else. Well, I think it's that. I think a lot of it's the nature metaphors. Um, and I think a lot of it is, you know, the whole like rubric of Kabbalat Shabbat, um, of, of welcoming Shabbat, is about the enactment of a, a wedding between right. Sabbath and the Jewish people. Right. right? And so I think... Because there's no wedding in the Song of Songs, it's just a fling. Um, but the the love poetry angle kind of lines up with the wedding angle, and that's why it fits together. In fact, the like key piyut of um, of Kabbalat Shabbat, lechadodi, which means like come, my beloved. Um, those words lechadodi, that phrase, comes directly from the Song of Songs. Right, right. 
And a lot of the like imagery that's used um, in Kabbalah Shabbat kind of echoes that of Song of Songs. So do you think you might be able to share some of the sound of the Song of Songs? Because yeah. as a cantor, obviously, you're able to, to chant it. And to with the specific understanding that people who are listening may not hear, may, may not, sorry, uh, understand what's being said, mm -hmm. but focusing more on the sound itself. Yeah. So I'm going to chant the first three verses of the Song of Songs according to the Sephardi Yerushalmi trope as chanted at Keilat Zion. Shira Shirim Asher Shalomo Yishakeini Minishikot Pihu Kitovim Dodecha Miyayin Lereach Shmanecha Tovim Shemen Turak Shemecha what, what does it do to you as you're chanting that? What, how does it resonate with you? I think, I mean, it, it calls up the images of the times when I've heard it. Um, you know, I can almost picture myself in the synagogue. Um, I think also this very first line is really interesting. Shir Hashirim Asher Lishlomo. It's all shh sounds. And I think that really like sets us up for like a softness. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and that's just the attribution. It barely means anything. Um, but it, it kind of like, I think, sets the tone. Um, and, you know, and then the, the next verses have a lot of shin in them as well. And, and there's something rhythmic about the way, about the words. Um, you know, Hebrew po traditional Hebrew poetry doesn't rhyme. I mean, a lot of like Piotim do, but, you know, when you're looking at like biblical era poetry, it's not rhyming or anything. So really what makes it poetic is the use of metaphor and the use of the sound of the words. I, it's extraordinary to, to hear you teaching about this to hear the, the, this different perspective on how it's used, how can people know more? What, what, you know, what, how can people who are here in Santa Fe, for example, learn more from you about the Song of Songs? That's an excellent question. Um, so I have a big event coming up on Saturday, November 19th at 2 p.m. Um, I will be giving my, essentially my senior recital, um, which is uh, based on my research um, and w didn't happen while I was in graduate school because of COVID. Um, and I'm really grateful to have the opportunity to be able to, you know, share this with the community where I work and, and am a part of. And so it's uh, 2 p.m. on Saturday, November 19th at Temple Beth Shalom. It's totally free. Um, and... I'm really excited to share um, a wide variety of settings of um, different parts of the book. I'm going to be chanting those exact verses again um, and doing some of the, some of Victoria Hanna's music and some music from Kilation. And I didn't even talk about the, the third group that I um, interviewed in my thesis and um you can mention them a little if you yeah, want now. Okay. Just, just a little. Just a little. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I also spoke to um, Eula Baeri, who is the um, 
songwriter for a group called Indiga Project, which is a trio of Israeli women who are primarily based in New York. Most of the time now, they kind of were around a little bit in the pandemic. And um, they have a really interesting musical style that's based on, um, well, one of their heavy influences is Bulgarian women's choirs, which is interesting. Um, And really what I wanted to explore was how women use this text, because this is a book that has a female character really at the forefront in a way that many other books of the Bible don't. Some, interestingly, some of the other Megillot, some of the other scrolls do, but um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of agency of the woman in this text. And so what I found is that, you know, when we're looking at like early Zionists, they're using the text for the land metaphors, you know, as, as part of their like, cultural ethos. Now what we really see is more like individual women using it as a showcase for their perspective and voice, and that it's really an empowering text. Um, And that to me is really powerful and one of the things that really draws me to this text. And so this event that you're sharing um, is when you say open to everyone, quite specifically Jewish and non-Jewish, literally everyone in Santa Fe to come and hear and learn and to hear your different settings as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I so appreciate you you being here again and, and sharing your thoughts on this text. If you had a, a final thought about the, the Song of Songs, a final thing that you want people to hold on to until that event, um, what would it be? What, how, how do you... What does the text mean to you today, I guess, as, as, a, as a cantor in, in New Mexico... Why is this, why is this, you've mentioned the, the embodiedness of it. Why is this an, an important text, as well as the empowerment aspect? Why is this important for, for us today? Yeah, let me read you my favorite verse. Yonati bechagve hasela beseter hamadrega harini et marai hashmiini et kolech kikolech arev umarech nave O my dove in the cranny of the rocks, hidden by the cliff, let me see your face. Let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is comely. And that that's my favorite verse because the imagery is just so strong. And because I know of at least six different metaphorical interpretations of it, which I don't have time to share right now, so maybe I'll have to come back. Um, and just to me, this image and the power of the voice really just and and the and the way that there's layers mm-hmm. really is what excites me about the song the fact that you could just keep peeling back layers forever thank you thank you so much uh, thank you to cantor liana mendelson cantor at temple Beshalom. thank you so much for bringing this to us and i do hope that as many people as possible come and and hear this extraordinary event that's coming up thank you so much for having me rabbi neil You've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Our guest this evening has been Cantor Liana Mendelssohn, Cantor at Temple Beth Shalom here in Santa Fe. And if you want more information about that event, please feel free to contact Temple Beth Shalom. Until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching.